Topic of our demo talk today is Dhammanupasana part two, and today's talk will be centered around a mindful contemplation of the five aggregates. You will remember from yesterday's demo talk that the mindful contemplation of Dhammas consists of five different items. First, there's mindful contemplation of the hindrances, and then there's mindful contemplation of the five aggregates. Then we have mindful contemplation of the six sense spheres, then of the seven awakening factors, and the four noble truths. Now, In terms of the term Dhamma, in this certain context, as was already explained to some extent yesterday, Dhamma here, as Dhamma of Dhamma Nupasana, then refers to specific mental factors and categories. So if you look at certain of these five items that come under Dhammanupasana Satipatthana, then we have a contemplation of the five hindrances, and these are all very specific mental factors, starting with the hindrance of, or the mental factor of sense desire, and then next we have the mental factor of ill will, then sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. And uh, sloth and torpor are actually two mental factors, and restlessness and remorse are also, strictly speaking, two mental factors. Now, when it comes to you know, the seven awakening factors, again, we have you know, some very specific mental qualities that come under this certain category, namely, mindfulness and the awakening factor of investigation of states is nothing other than wisdom so the mental factor of wisdom then we have the awakening factor of energy which boils down to the mental factor of effort and suddenly then we have joy we have the awakening factor of uh, tranquility, of concentration, and of equanimity. And all of those certain remaining awakening factors, they are nothing other or in essence boiled down to their respective mental state or mental factor. Now, different from these specific mental qualities or factors are the categories. So, the five aggregates, the six sense spheres, and the four noble truths, these are all different categories. So, what we have here as Satna Dhamma, as part of Dhamma Nupasana, is a mixture, is a mix of specific mental qualities and certain categories or specific categories.
the contemplation of Fertner, the five aggregates can yield plenty of Fertner results and something for you to find out. Now, what Sutton will do today is first I'll briefly touch on um, the aggregate of materiality, Rupakanda, then we'll go on to briefly mention the aggregate of feelings and then we uh, will go on you know, to explore in great detail what is meant you know, by you know, the aggregate of certain perceptions. Now, the Pali for aggregate is Kanda, and by, you know, by Kanda is meant um, an entirety, a um, multiplicity of different phenomena that all belong uh, into one category, whether past, present, or future, internal or external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, near or far. So instead of uh, translating the Pali scriptural term kanda as aggregate, we might also translate it as a heap or a mass of formations of a very particular kind. Now, Material form, Rupa, covers all the four elementary qualities of matter and then any material derived from those certain four elements. And so when we speak of the Rupa Kanda, namely the aggregate of materiality, then this Satna refers to whatever is affected by material or the aggregate of materiality refers to whatever is affected by external conditions such as cold and heat, hunger and thirst, mosquitoes and snakes, emphasizing the subjective experience of Fatna Rupa as the main aspect of Fatna, this aggregate. Now, we have Fatna already spoken about Satna feedings. There was feedings in general with an emphasis on pleasant feeding, and then another talk with an emphasis on unpleasant feeling as well as mention of neutral feelings so neither unpleasant nor pleasant feelings now those certain feelings can be uh, put uh, all together 
and or those feelings certainly seen as a mass yeah, then yeah, make up what certainly we or what certainly the Buddha refers to as certainly the aggregate of certainly feelings. Namely, the Visuddhimagga yeah, defines certainly this as follows whatever has the characteristic of being felt should be understood all taken together as the feeling aggregate. Now, in the Majjhima Nikaya, its first volume, in section 293, it says, it is felt. That is why it is called Satna feeling. Now, in terms of the instructions for a mindful contemplation of the aggregate of perception, well, the instructions are very short. And it says in the Satipatthana Sutta, so the Discourse on the Establishment of Mindfulness, such is perception, such its arising, such its passing away. Now, the second and third instructions, such its arising, such its passing away, is obvious. So, to know the arising, the genesis, the uh, appearance of perception. And such its certain passing away refers to the dissolution, disintegration, the breaking up of certain perceptions. Now, when it comes to the very first instruction, namely, such is perception, this might not be all that clear. Now, what this refers to is simply to know the nature of perceptions, which is is expressed by the word such is certain perception. Now, what then is certain perception? When we uh, refer you know, to you know, the text, you know, then you know, there is uh, a passage, you know, for instance, in the Kanda Samyutta, you know, the collection of discourses on you know, the aggregates. It's a 22nd collection, Discourse 79, and it defines what is meant by perception. It says, and why, bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, and later retreatants, do you call it perception? The answer to this certain rhetorical question is, it perceives, therefore it is called perception. And what does it perceive? It perceives blue, it perceives yellow, it perceives red, it perceives white. It perceives, therefore it is called perception. Now, having said this, then 
it follows that whatever has the characteristic of perceiving should be understood all taken together as the perception aggregate. And that's the definition of Sanyakanda from the Visuddhi Magga. Or in the Majjhimanikaya, in its first volume, section 293, it says it perceives that is why it is called perception. That's the same passage or same statement as from the Samyutta Nikaya. Now, this factor, mental factor of perception is one of the universals and which means it arises with all types of consciousness and thus at times it can be wholesome at other times it can be unwholesome and again at other times it's indeterminate and so when perception is associated with wholesome consciousness, then perception becomes wholesome perception. When perception is associated with or rises together with unwholesome consciousness, then perception will be unwholesome. And then the same thing goes certainly for perception that is associated with indeterminate consciousness. So perception then becomes indeterminate um, in character. Now, the Majjhima Nikaya, in its first volume, again, near section 293, uh, clarifies that certain feeding and certain perception occur as a conjoint pair. And indeed, both of them are universal factors from uh, and mental factors from an Abhidhamma point of view. And certainly the cause for the, the nearest cause for the arising of both feeding the, or the aggregate of feeding and perception is certain contact. Now, still for a better understanding, the Visuddhimagga helps Satna by explaining or specifying what exactly is meant by the mental factor of certain perception. So it says that its characteristic is certainly that of perceiving the qualities of an object, whatever those qualities might be. Early on in an earlier statement from the text, uh, it was said to perceiving an object to be uh, red or blue or yellow and uh, or white and so on. 
Now, its function, its first function is to make a mark or to, or to make a sign as a condition for perceiving again that this is such and such an object. The second function is as recognizing what has been previously perceived. And certainly it is manifested as interpreting. So based on a certain sense data that certainly we receive through near the eyes, certainly the ears and certainly so on, we then interpret this certain particular experience to be maybe a pain. Or when there is, let's say, an area in the body that is well observed and experienced as being rather compact, rather solid, rather hard, then we might certainly then interpret this as the sensation of hardness. Now, the proxy from a Nevisuddhi Magadna point of view, the proximate cause for near the arising of perception is the object as it appears. Now, much can be said about certain perception. Perception is actually a fascinating mental factor. Now, some, some time ago, on May 1st, I was asked to give a demo talk on perception to scientists at Sutton the Weizmann Institute of Science in, um, uh, in Rehovot of Israel. And certainly in preparation for this talk, then I asked our retreatants in Lumbini to come up with or to write up their experiences with change of object perception or changes with regard to perception itself. And certainly the feedback was overwhelming. <laughs> like almost everyone, or a number of them, those who did uh, you know, they, uh, uh, give some feedback, they you know, filled at least an entire page, if not two or more pages. Now, when paying close attention to our perception 
over time, over a period of time of intensive practice, retreatants, and this is not me saying this, but our retreatants, certainly saying that perception has a tendency to become faster, also sharper, fresher, one is more, the perception is much more in the present moment, and perceptions suddenly become are viv- more vivid, they feel newer and uh, uh, less cluttered by uh, projections, by emotions, by biases, um, and uh, the like. Now, when we carefully pay attention to the mental factor of perception itself and certainly the um, objects perceived or a particular object certain perceived, then we might certainly find certain some interesting or make some interesting discoveries. Now, before going into this, Venerable Nisad Ujjanaka Bhimsa of Burma, the founder of the Mahagandayan study monastery in Amarapura of Burma, so that's in northern Burma, he then has clarified to one interesting aspect, namely that the perception of a human being is one thing, and the perception of, let's say, some insects or so, or animals, is again another thing. So, as an example, it may be a bit rude, but it really you know, that makes it clear. Feces to human beings is disgusting. However, feces to maggots, to worms, to pigs is choice food. So, the same item, but, uh, uh, well, Luckily, we <laughs> perceive their feces differently from, from the pigs. Now, along the same line, a scarecrow will, to a bird looks like a true human being, whereas to a human, a scarecrow is just a scarecrow. Nothing to be uh, scared of. Now, in the course of our meditation practice, we might come across a number of changes of object perception. So, we take one object and over time, our perception of this one and the same object will change. Now, in the course of intensive meditation practice, retreatants at first 
might see, uh, especially here at the you know, forest refuge, see food as extremely uh, delightful. Uh, this extremely delicious. However, unfortunately, in the course of the practice, this might certainly change. And what might happen? Jane? Oh, one lose inch, loses interest in it. So, not only this, the food, even if one is certainly eating, then the food certainly loses its taste and certainly becomes tasteless or even insipid. And certainly sometimes food then is perceived as certain or as even repulsive. Now, the same process might certainly be experienced with regard to one and the same person. One might see a person at first as one's enemy and certainly then in the course of time, you know, things change, and one sees that same, or perceives that same person as one's certain friend. Now, such a transformation might occur as a result of one's loving-kindness meditation. So, if one radiates loving-kindness to oneself and uh, you know, to one's perceived enemy, so over time, this barrier between you know, the two gets broken down, and suddenly then the enemy is seen you know, sorry, as a you know, friend. So that's quite certainly some you know, development. Maybe this particular aspect of the change of object perception you know, should be applied to you know, nations that are uh, in conflict with one another a bit more. And rather than maybe uh, seeing only you know, the negative or destructive uh, aspects of another nation, also to see its certain positive aspects, its achievements, and so on. Now, the Venerable Saito Pandita Bhivams of Burma has come up with a wonderful illustration for you know, this change of object perception. Namely, and certain you, many of you will be familiar with it. You walk down a road and from a distance you see something lying across the road. And suddenly then you perceive this from a distance to be a stick. Upon going closer, walking, walking up closer to that perceived stick, you no longer see it as a stick, but rather as a, maybe some insects crawling across the road. When you go even closer, you, know, you might certainly then find it's not just some insects, but you can see you know, every single ant you know, that is crossing the road. 
So, um, this particular phenomenon, looking at an object from a distance, gives us suddenly, or leads to a perception um, uh, of the object as a stick lying across the road. Upon uh, closer observation, then it you know, turns out you know, to be um, a row of ants. Now, that's a huge difference. And these kind of changes of object certain perception may occur in intensive practice as well as you know, during you know, our time outside of a retreat during our worldly life. Now, this being so, one has to be very careful you know, with one's certain first certain perception of an object or a, 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 a social situation because one's initial perception might be wrong. Now, from a practice point of view, when we take an object like the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, then during the first one, two, three days of intensive practice, the rising and falling movement of the abdomen might be perceived, or oftentimes suddenly it's perceived as one continuous movement. There's not even a separation between rising and falling. Sooner or later, retreatants start to then see the pause in between. Now, with improved effort, more continuous effort, and certainly thus a more sustained mindfulness, improved concentration, and improved intuitive insight, we then sooner or later find that that original, that perceived continuous movement actually consists of a number of separate movements or segments. And prior to this, oftentimes retreatants say they feel kind of a wave-like movement there. So it's not a steady, even movement, but it becomes wave-like. And from wave-like, it turns into a segmented movement. Now, then, as this perception of the rise and fall might last for a while, and it might reoccur many times like this, one thinks, okay, that is the correct perception of the rise and fall. Namely, it's segmented. But is that really the ultimate certain perception? Still not. And so when you go even deeper into it, you know, your, you know, or into the object with a strengthened mind, you know, then you find that you know, even those segments are breaking up and uh, you might you know, end up seeing one rising and falling movement or one rising movement as you know, just a line of dots. And, those, you know, and that line of dots then later on might even you know, break down further into uh, uh, vibrations or uh, waves, subtler, subtler waves. Now, there is an illustration in the Diga Nikaya 
the second uh, volume of it, near section 294, for near this change of uh, perception. And uh, I've mentioned uh, near this certain uh, before, so it's uh, two, or a butcher, while rearing a cow, will perceive this cow as cow, but once he has slaughtered the cow, then he no longer perceives the individual pieces as certain cow, but rather as pieces of meat. So, a change of perception then takes place from first seeing the object, the cow as cow, and then when it's all caught and all cut up, then as meat. Now, a number of other changes of perception might you might you might notice a number of other you know, changes of perception so mm, not just a uh, you know, change of perception with regard to food as we've discussed and also with regard to, you know, to others F but further our relationship our perception of old age might certainly change and as long as we're young, we don't think much about old age. But when we are gradually advancing in years, then uh, our perception of old age starts changing. And we realize that certain old age may go along with a number of physical weaknesses. Now, retreatants certainly have said that our perception of sickness, of ailment over time might also change. So, as a non-retreatant, if one falls sick, then this certainly may be experienced as a major disaster, but as a retreatant who is well established in mindfulness certain practice, well, and physical ailment is certainly just another set of a different set of physical sensations, physical experiences, and with this the relationship to the ailment is quite certainly different. Now, retreatants have further said that their relationship to death, the physical death at the end of one's life, that this certainly changes drastically. Now, again, as a youngster, one might not want to even think about certain death. It's something that might happen in 60 years from now. And it doesn't concern me right now. So why bother? 
And oftentimes, this issue of death gets ignored or pushed out of our awareness. We just don't want to deal with it. But when it comes to retreatants, what changes? The way we look at it, and how does this happen? Ah, there you go. That's it, is correct. So, as one uh, observes really carefully what is going on in the body and in the mind, one sees, mm, one sees that formations are impermanent, and uh, at the peak of Fatna, this one sees that, as Venerable Viranyani has Fatna said, that uh, all formations are dissolving, they're breaking up, they disintegrate, they don't last Fatna forever. So, while one undertakes intensive practice, one is already becoming accustomed to this ending, the death of certain formations, and this then is certainly a good preparation for the death when it occurs at the end of one's life. Now, what about the self? In the course of the mindfulness practice, uh, do any changes occur? Yes, no? As you get older, the perception of self changes. How? The self also ages? Well, <clears throat> in terms of identification with the body, <laughs> as the body ages, the perception of self identified with the body changes. Which means that one identifies more or less? Well, I don't know if it's more or less. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, any other comments? Perception of no self. Ah. There you go. So, the perception, of the experience, that certain physical and mental formations are not identical with a self, that certainly then rectifies or changes our perception of a self. So, at first, we may firmly be convinced of the existence of a self. We perceive what with regard to feelings, let's say there's a strong identification there, so you know, we uh, take the feelings to be near the self, and suddenly then upon closer uh, examination we find you know, that this is just a joke. And suddenly so, you know, those certain feelings keep you know, dissolving, and suddenly you know, so, what is there to identify you know, with? Now, in the course of Fatna practice, we might find further, find that in a really um, useful manner, our 
perception of you know, such you know, things like spiders you know, you know, will might suddenly change. So if one has a phobia in relation to spiders, then this can be quite debilitating, but being mindful of this again and again and again, then will help to break down that perception of spiders as being somewhat scary, and eventually one's certain perception of spiders becomes quite realistic and quite normal. Now, in the course of Fatna practice, our perception of concepts, of projections, of ideas, of beliefs, even fears, all of this is likely to undergo changes. And one retreatant has certainly pointed out that as one practice more and more, one realizes that one quickly realizes a concept is just a concept. So one recognizes a mental construct as a concept and one doesn't take it for a reality. And that can be extremely helpful. So with this, one sees what is truly going on, and suddenly the mind is not impacted by um, just mental constructs. Now, another ancient, that's maybe the last point along this line, another interesting change in perception takes place with regard to noise. So a beginning retreatant will maybe hear the squeaking of the wooden floorboards suddenly here in the hall and take those as as unpleasant an unpleasant experience and will take the sound, the squeaking of the floorboards as noise, as a noise, an unpleasant, unwelcome noise that is disrupting my meditation practice. However, as time goes on and our practice deepens, and we are mindful of various kinds of hearing processes and concentration, more and more concentration develops, that so-called noise, squeaking noise, is just, is perceived as just a sound, just a hearing process, and that's it. And so the aversion that at first arises based on perceiving the squeaking of the floorboards as certain uh, unpleasant, that uh, uh, aversion then later on uh, has no reason to arise. Now, one could certainly go on here with certain uh, change, uh, with object certain perception for a bit certain more. Now, Based on what has been said so far, 
namely that perception itself over time changes. So the mental factor of perception undergoes changes, the perception becomes faster, newer, fresher, and certainly the like. Then, based on the fact that our relationship to some object out there or even within ourselves, that certainly this is also changing, would it be correct to say that perceptions are um, that perceptions are permanent? It won't make any sense whatsoever. So, based on our own meditative experiences, we then can come to the conclusion that indeed, truly, perceptions are in every way, in every aspect, impermanent. And there's actually one more point that I forgot to mention, namely, Mm, So our perceptions mm, for a while become fresher, newer, and so on and so forth. And uh, mm, then later on, uh, perception of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen mm, can turn from clear to crystal clear. And then from there to an unclear, a foggy, a blurred and obscured perception of the rise and fall and other objects. So it becomes very obvious that certain, especially also when one sees a perception, mental factor of perception itself arising and passing, that this is really an alterable mental factor and has no permanent lasting quality to it. After having spent an entire day in downtown New York and you finally return home, then thinking back about all the thousands and thousands of sense impressions that suddenly bombarded your senses in downtown New York, is that truly a, a pleasant experience? An experience conducive to happiness? Not. So, on so many occasions, you see a car and you perceive it to be a Cadillac. Or you hear some music and you perceive it to be the music or music performed by XYZ musician. So, being bombarded by sense impressions and having to perceive this and that certain object over and over, or, or many times certain a day, this in itself can be quite tiring, quite exhausting. Now, the fact that perceptions are clearly alterable, this too, 
contributes to you know, the you know, f fact that formations are you know, the perceptions are not conducive to happiness, but ultimately you know, to uh, unhappiness or that they are unsatisfactory. Now. Can you walk you know, through downtown New York and suddenly then tell your mind, I will, you know, from now onwards, I will want to experience only wholesome perceptions. Can you do this? No. So usually not, unless someone has trained you know, the mind a lot. Now, perceptions are not um, to be identified with. So they are not the self. Perceptions are just perceptions. And so perceptions in general are not, or the mental factor of sanya is not the seat of self. Now, the arising of certain perception then is owing to certain conditions, such as the physical eye coming in contact with a visible object, and based on this seeing consciousness arises, the meeting of those three, namely the visible object, the eye, the physical eye, and the seeing conscious, consciousness, this is your mental factor of contact, fassa, and the contact, sorry, then in turn gives certain rise to a pleasant or unpleasant feeling. And because of fitness feeding, then arises a perception. And what one has perceived, one then reasons about and gets lost in uh, discursive fitness thinking in mental proliferation. Sayadaw, that's only one uh, line of causality. Uh, um, it seems to me there, there are other ways too. For instance, if I notice something out of the corner of my eye and I label it as a snake and I look more closely and it's just a stick on the ground, mm -hmm. it's because consciousness has arrived with the label, uh, isn't it? And, and uh, before I have a chance to see it clearly. If I were more mindful, that wouldn't take place. I would see it for what it really is uh, before the label is applied to it. So no, 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 that's, uh, no, that is correct. So, so in the absence, in the absence of uh, uh, that mindfulness, you then... Um, in the absence of mindfulness, one uh, might indeed certainly misperceive the object. 
And so, so what you're you know, saying here contains an important point that I haven't mentioned yet, namely that so, uh, the labeling itself that we use in the meditation practice, that this uh, corresponds to the mental factor of, or, or that is perception, that would be a case of certain perception. So uh, an object is there, and then you recognize it to be so-and-so, and you label it. So the label is certainly then um, uh, that certain perception or you know, recognition. Now, to finish off this talk, perception is a, is a mental state that gets influenced by many things, and certainly so one speaks of the cluttering, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi speaks of the cluttering of perception. Cluttering of perception through our biases, beliefs, and certain projections, ideas, and certain the like. So, rather into thinking, rather than perceiving an object for what it truly is, the mind adds all sorts of uh, aspects to it. And this cluttering of perception is not certainly helpful at all. The Buddha has certainly given some really useful advice to the um, ascetic Bahia, the ascetic of uh, the bark uh, uh, cloth, and Bahia was pressed or pressed the Buddha for short certain instructions, and the Buddha then told him the following: In what is seen, there must be only the seen; in what is heard, there must be only the heard; in what is sensed, as smelled, tasted, or touched, there must be only what is sensed; in what is thought, there must be only what is certain thought. Now, really dangerous around certain perceptions are wrongful perceptions. And if we misperceive or wrongly perceive, interpret a particular situation, we might certainly create a lot of unnecessary conflict. Now, one such case would be to perceive another person who is all all of or full of good intentions towards you, you perceive that person as certainly maybe your enemy, and there's really no justification for it. Now, if you perceive someone else as you wrongly as your enemy, then you'll start certainly treating him or her in certain certain ways and not so useful ways, and certainly that then might certainly incite a major conflict. 
this wrongful perception of a situation also happens in the field of politics, even world certain politics. So when a country is perceived as certain having nuclear weapons, then or or running a nuclear program, but in fact this is not the case, then this wrongful perception may then lead to terrible results, even to an entire war. Now, There's different you know, things that contribute you know, to you know, the arising of a conflict, and these wrongful perceptions are mm, one you know, such you know, factor. So, one way of resolving you know, conflicts is that the parties involved you know, speak openly about you know, their perceptions of the situation, and then, you know, and then, in listening to others' certain perceptions, it becomes obvious that one of the the same thing is seen in different ways, and certainly maybe everyone has uh, some amount of, uh, or to some extent, is certainly right. Now, there's certain also distortion of perception that the Buddha speaks of, namely, in particular, to distortion of or sorry, there's certain distortions. So three distortions, namely, with regard to perception, consciousness, and certain view. So when our initial perceptions are off, distorted, then this has an impact on our consciousness and leads to a distortion of consciousness. And when these distortions of consciousness happen again and again, then we end up forming a distorted view. So, seeing what or perceiving what um, perceiving formations to be permanent when in fact they are impermanent, to perceive formations to be conducive to happiness when in actuality you know, they are you know, conducive to unhappiness or unsatisfactoriness, and suddenly then perceiving formations and identifying you know, with uh, taking them to be you know, the self when in actuality that's not the case, all you know, these certain things are you know, then uh, distortions. Distortions of uh, perception. Now, the Buddha has given um, some beautiful illustrations with regard certainly to the five aggregates, and so, so I'll mention just the first of three. Namely, he says that uh, the aggregate of material form 
is like in the insubstantial nature of a lump of foam carried away by a river. Feelings, pleasant and unpleasant and neutral feelings, are compared to or illustrated by impermanent bubbles that form on the surface of water during rain and suddenly then obviously pop in no time. Now, perceptions, the Buddha illustrates with the illusory nature of a mirage. As for the remaining two, aggregates, namely that of mental volitions and consciousness, will deal with those two during the forthcoming Dhamma talk on Monday. Now, allow me to conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by wishing may you apply the instructions given by the Buddha with regard to perceptions, knowing such is its nature, such its arising, such its passing away. And may you fully, or more and more, discover the true nature of perceptions and then ultimately by so doing gain a more realistic perception of the world and relationship to the world and may this then pave the way for the ultimate realization of the Dhamma. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.